add repetition is always good uh, and uh, bringing things to our remembrance. But we talked a little bit about this, but I had realized I looked online and I could not find this sermon that I preached. It was about 15 years ago or 16, actually 16 years ago. It would have been uh, right around this time. And I wanted it to be in this series that I'm preaching on children and raising children. Uh, And I looked and I think I preached it probably a second time in maybe 2010, but it's still not online anywhere. I checked everywhere uh, that, um, and I looked for it, but I couldn't find it there. And I, uh, so I'm going to, I added to it and uh, a lot and uh, we'll, we're going to talk about it here today. Uh, My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. And I preached this probably the I don't know. It was within the first couple months of Old Paz Baptist Church. Carrie, I don't know if you remember that one at all. But um, those, those early sermons really stuck with Carrie because she was, the Lord was dealing with her heart about salvation and everything. So she remembers some of these. But Lee remembered this one, too. Uh, but uh, this one's a little, this one won't, it won't sound like the other one. It never does anyway. If you preach a sermon twice, it doesn't. But, but it's important that um, we understand what the scriptures say, and, the, and, and to give a kind of a complete understanding of that in, in this context is important, I think. And so I wanted to backtrack a little bit in Proverbs chapter 1. We've, we did Proverbs chapter 5 probably for a, over a month straight. We dealt with Proverbs chapter 5. Now we're going to deal with Proverbs chapter 1, and we've already dealt with part of that when we talked about parents and children, but I wanted to be a little specific with this verse here, and I think it'll be a, a help. Uh, to you as well. My son, uh, verse number 10, my son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. If they say, come with us, let us lay wait for blood. Let us lurk privily for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down into the pit. We shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in thy lot among us. Let us all have one purse. My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path. For their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. And they lay wait for their own blood and they lurk privily for their own lives. Father, we pray you bless us now as we go through the scriptures here. And specifically this verse in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse number 10. Help us to apply them to our hearts. And Lord, save the lost, strengthen the saved. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, repetition and putting things in our remembrance is how children learn properly to be what God wants them to be. When we train a child, we are teaching them over and over again what is proper in the Lord. And the same goes for God's people. But children in particular, they definitely need repetition. There are so many times that people believe that children should know something because they've been told once or twice. That they should have it down and they should understand it. This is a mistake, really, in parenting. And it's really a mistake in in understanding the character and the nature of fallen man. When When you don't understand the nature of fallen man and you don't understand that you and I are subject to forget things... You wonder, well, how soon can a child forget something that they've learned? Just about as soon as you forget it. Amen? 
they can forget it. And they, these things have to be brought to their remembrance. And repetition is the best way to teach that. It is over and over again. So you'll see in the scriptures the same messages over and over again are given to people. To, to, uh, to God's people for them to be instructed to learn and to grow. And, and the simplest of things God has us to remember, put the, puts them into our remembrance over and over again so we understand them, so we can grow, so we can learn. Okay, and it's important uh, that we do that. You know, God, God in his word brings things, simple things to our remembrance constantly. He's always reminding us of things. And you have to do that with your children. As, as, as we are raising our children, we have to remind them of things. We ought, well, I told them once they ought to know this. No. That's why you're, you're an instructor. The, the, word, the Bible says train up a child. It doesn't say teach them one thing and then they already have it. Right? It's, it's why... Things have to be brought to your remembrance. As a pastor, I have to preach the things of the Word of God to bring it to our remembrance over and over again. Why? Because we let them slip. Yeah, we, 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 we can let them slip. We can let sin into our lives by letting principles that we have held to slip. Right. So we have to be reminded of those principles because none of us have arrived. We're still here and we still, have, we still have a war, we still have a battle, we still have a race to run, and uh, we have not arrived at heaven's gate yet. So because we have not, we are here and we have to be reminded of what our duties are and what God expects from us. So unless you be exasperated or exhausted in your parenting, you will be if you forget that your job is to, to train them and to teach them over and over again. You will be tired and you will be weary. And you, as a pastor, I can be weary and well-doing as well. If I get tired, if I think that, well, people should have this by now, shouldn't they? And a parent can be the same way. They can think that, well, they should have that now. By the way, here's another thing for you as a person. You'll start self-condemning yourself as well when you believe, well, I should already be farther than what I am. I should already understand this. I should already know this. I should already be this. Why? I've had people that tell me that have children late in life that they should already know how to parent. And I'm like, why? You've never parented anyone. Oh, I'm older. Who cares? What's that got to do with anything? You've never parented anyone. Why would you know that? Oh, I should know this. Why? Why should you? Right? The, the, the more appropriate way to look at that is I should be learning this. See, that's a sense of humility. The other is a sense of, well, I already know everything. Well, we don't know everything. Amen. So we have to be reminded of things. And one way that happens is patience. And trials and adversity brings, adversity teaches us the things that we need to know. Because, it, because at times adversity can exasperate us and bring us to a point that, that we really are at our wit's end with things. And that's not a bad place to be. It teaches us that we, we have to humbly learn. That we have to slow down and learn. These are very simple lessons, but the Proverbs show us these things. And one of the things it shows us is... Um, 
life and children and raising them and what that does. And by the way, you're a child of God, so these things apply to you just as well as they do a young child. There are applications for this for you and I here and from a parental and a teaching point of view, but also from a receiving point of view as a child of God, we are learning these same, same things. These same principles will help you uh, as a Christian, no matter how old you are. One man said it this way, life is a scene of temptation. In this verse, there are two things to be considered in order to understand this. We have to understand human nature. Ignorance of human nature is being ignorant of Satan's devices because Satan uses the fallen nature and he uses it to instigate evil in people. Trusting human nature makes you a fool. I'll say it again one more time for you. Trusting human nature makes you a fool. We don't trust human nature. We trust the Lord. We don't trust... I mean, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Yeah, I'm saved. I've arrived. Oh, no, you haven't. You're saved, but you got a battle on your hands. Your war didn't start till the day you got saved. You think your war started before that? No, it starts the day you get saved, man. You're in the battle. You're enlisted in the army. Now, you're, now you get a uniform. Now you get, now you get your armor, and God says, here you go. Here's your armor. Now put it on. Now you're in the fight of your life. Amen. You thought you was in a fight of life before you got saved. Don't oh, know you weren't. You were being broken down by God before you got saved to bring you to a place of repentance and faith. When you got saved, now God, God hands you that armor and says, okay, now it's time to really fight. You've got a lot of enemies now. And the biggest one is in the mirror. That is the biggest enemy. Amen. I like to think it's somebody else that's picking on me or not being nice to me or somebody that doesn't like me. No, it's you. You're the biggest enemy you have. Amen. The biggest enemy you have. It ain't your neighbor. Jesus said it's in the heart, right? All that lust and all that nasty stuff, it's in the heart. Amen. That's, that's your biggest enemy. Understanding human nature is very important. The instigations to evil, which from without beset and attack every human being of whatever age and condition. Number two, the natural inclinations towards evil, which from within gives such force to the external invitations. Man, yeah. There are temptations everywhere. But you know something? If it wasn't for this wicked, old, nasty, fallen heart of mine, that, that old, old, nasty nature that I still have, it wouldn't have anything. What Jesus said when Satan came, there was nothing in him. Yeah. <laughs> he said the prince, of, the, 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 you know, the, the prince of darkness comes, but there's nothing in me. The prince of this world comes, but there's nothing in me. He can't do nothing to me there's, because there's nothing in me. That's what Jesus said. We can't say that. Right. The natural inclination towards evil, which from within gives such force to the external invitations. The two concurring and conspiring render life an arena of moral conflict. Your life is a, is a war of, of, of immorality versus morality, of truth and righteousness versus error and wickedness. That's why he gives this plea the way that he does. One man said this, youth especially in the period of temptation, the wise man addresses his son 
sympathizing with the young, remembering his own youth and anxious to deliver youthful pilgrims from the snares which abound in their path. This is why we preach the way we do. This is why we stand on the edge like this and go, no, don't go there. Because we know where it goes. I've been burned by it. Had my life almost destroyed by it. So I warn you, don't go that way. That's out of sympathy and love. It's not love to powder your butt into hell. It is love to warn you to flee from the wrath to come. That is love. Not putting a diaper on you and giving you a binky and letting you slip off into a Christless eternity or letting you slip off into a sinful world that wants to destroy you. That is not love. It is absolute hate. Amen. That is hate of the highest degree. The man that loves you will tell you the truth from the word of God. They'll give it to you plain and straight with great plainness of speech to be very clear so you're not confused. Amen. He warns the youth and the reason he warns them in youth, the passions are strongest by which human nature is often urged aside from the ways of wisdom and piety of virtue and true happiness in youth. The principles and habits are unformed when you, that's why you're to train up a child in the way you should go. Cause when they're young, all of their, their, their character is not formed yet. The principles and habits of their life have not been formed yet. You know what the hardest thing is to do? Train people that have been trained wrong. Nah. It is the hardest thing to train people that have been. Ask anybody in any business, brother Paul's alignment. If you had a, if you had an apprentice or somebody that comes up and somebody taught them wrong, or they think they know what they're doing, and you try to teach them, it's like, oh man. I'm going to get electrocuted. <laughs> I just, it just the stress that goes into that, right? Because it's hard. Why? Because their minds have been trained. Let me tell you something. If you've been trained wrong with wrong theology, with wrong biblical upbringing, with wrong understanding, with bad principles and bad character and everything else at a young age, to train that out of somebody, number one, it does take an act of God. It takes the Holy Ghost saving, uh, sealing them and saving them, but it can be done because look, we're all here. Amen? So it can be done. But then the second thing is, is that it takes that person being submitted to God. They have to submit to the Lord, admit they don't know what they're doing. And then God will begin to teach them. And God will use his word to teach them. But in youth, that's why, that's why you're to train up a child in the way you should go. When they're young, you put good principles and habits into them. So they have good things into them. Even if they're not saved yet, you're teaching them and training them things that the Bible says. And it's a blessing. And you children better count it a blessing. Amen. You won't know the worth of it until later on. That's right. You won't really be able to respect and love the worth of that until later. Do your best to do it now. But you'll see it as you grow older. If you follow the Lord and you follow the things that your parents have taught you from the scriptures, if you follow the preaching of God's word that you have learned, you'll see the benefits of it. You'll see it in your family. You'll see the benefits of it. You'll see the grace of God in it.
Amen. In youth, inexperience exposes to the arts of the crafty and the vile. Youth are very inexperienced and it's easy to take advantage of them. It's just, it's easy for them to be taken advantage of. That's why we, we have to be very careful and teach the scriptures very plainly and, and, and have that be our authority and not our emotions or our feelings or, or anything else, not be moved by our own thought process, but very clearly, methodically through the scriptures. And I mean that. That's why expository preaching is best, is, is good. Like what we're doing right now, this, expo- this is an expository application of these things because we're going to go through this verse. We haven't even started yet. This is just the opening. Uh, hang on for the ride, amen? But uh, th- this is just the opening. But listen, everything we did, we've done so far in these Proverbs, they, they've all been through expositionally through these. I didn't tell you, okay, verse one, exposition. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't do that. I'm not like that. But that's exactly what I did do. Because it's teaching and training you through them. Not just taking one verse out of context, grabbing it and ripping it out. Look, I can teach you complete false doctrine by just grabbing one verse and running with it. Man, I'll have you shine in my shoes. I'll have you giving your life savings over to me. I'll, ha- I'll have you. I'll have, right? Hey, I'm not kidding. I'm dead. I'll have you sow your seed. Sow your seed. I'll have you, I can have you doing anything by taking a verse out of context. But give me that old King James Bible and let me take it verse by verse through there and you can't get away with that monkey business. Because you got the Word of God and it says, what do the verses around it say, preacher? What do the verses around it say? Amen. That means any man in this room could be like, preacher, if you got off into something weird, they could say, preacher, what's going on? That sounds funny. Amen. I hear a different sound in my ear. I don't know about that one. Amen? See why you can't. But if I just preach on topics like that, and you can do expositional with topic, there's nothing wrong with that. Okay, but what I'm saying is, is when when you're not rightly dividing, I can get you to go kill somebody by giving you a Bible verse. I literally. How do you think men walked up to me and said stuff like, well, I thought we was going to go bust some heads, preacher. I think you got the wrong war there, partner. That's not the spiritual battle. We're talking the weapons of our our warfare, not carnal, but spiritual. But anybody can take a verse to you, take it out of context, grab it, and teach you. And man, you'll give up your life savings. You'll give up everything you own. You'll do, you'll do anything. Anybody can do that. That's not, I could take one verse to do that. But what you say is, well, what does the rest of it say? Is it consistent? Does it apply dispensationally to what we're even talking about? Well, guess what doesn't? David's mighty men, in a physical sense, we are not all going to go to Washington or go to Minnesota and kick out the governor. Uh, (laughs) With with ARs and, (laughs) right? We're not going to start Jason's mighty men and go go to war, right? Well, hey, they did it in the Old Testament. I mean, see, it says it. Yeah, I know, but who is he talking to? Who is he talking to? Who does it apply to? See, that's where you want to know. You want to, 
I, I'm not afraid for you to check that out. I'm not afraid for you to say, well, is it consistent? Is it, is it what? I mean, it should be. It should be consistent with biblical teaching. Anybody can teach you this King James Bible and they can take one, they can pervert it. Anybody can do that. I'm talking about being, I'm talking about rightly dividing the word of truth. I'm talking about going down and understanding what battle you're in, what war you're in. All of that, all, all of the applications of those things. Amen. That's what's important. You, you ought to be able to check out what that says, and it ought to say the same thing throughout the New Testament if that's the teaching that is there. Amen. That's important to understand. And what we're going to teach you in Proverbs is applicable in the New Testament because they're principles of living. And this is a principle, like sin doesn't change. God still hates it. God's holy nature doesn't change. God still hates it. But he provided a lamb, the lamb. Amen? Amen? To pay for sin. And thank God for that. Amen? All right, number one. In this verse, he starts with my son. This is a passionate plea from a parent to a child. My son whom I love and have tender concern for, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. This is good advice for parents to give their children when they send them out, especially their young men. It's the same that St. Peter gave to his converts in Acts chapter 240. Save yourselves from this untoward generation. That's what he was saying, this backwards and wicked, vile generation. Save yourselves from this sinful generation. It's the same advice that he gave. This is a sincere moment of pleading and teaching the child, knowing the dangers of this world and knowing the men that are in this world. It is to train our young people that sinners will come to entice thee. They will. It's a warning. But young man or young lady, it will always start with your response. More specifically, it will always start with your heart. In the previous verses, he warns us to follow sound wisdom and instruction from parents. Look at verse Proverbs chapter 1, verse number 8 and 9. Before he, before he warns him about sin, he warns him about where he should be getting his understanding from. My son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother, for they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head and chains about thy neck. Now, he starts with verse 7. We could go back one more. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So that's important that we go to verse 7 because that, that tells you where the parents got their instruction from. Do you understand that? The parents are giving their instruction from the fear of the Lord. So when I instruct my children, I'm to give them instructions from the fear of the Lord because I fear God and, and want to give Him glory. All my instructions for you ought to be the same. It ought to be because I fear God. The authority for that is the Word of God, that I fear God and I want to give Him glory. So we're to fear the Lord. It's the beginning of knowledge. So if, if, if you think you're smart, but you don't fear God, you're stupid. Amen. Fool, only fools don't fear God. Only fools don't have a fear of God. Now we covered those verses already when we talked about children. Who will you follow? If you remember those, those uh, back in June. But having desired wisdom from the Lord, which is the beginning of knowledge, and having followed your parents and keeping close to them, we see that it comes to you. The parents must come to a passionate plea. My son or daughter, 
It makes no difference, the difference being that a son will go out into the world more than a daughter will. That's true. A daughter should be home, but you can be mighty busy at home, and temptation will come to the home as well. So we sang that song. I asked Brother Andrew to sing that this morning. Have courage, my boy, to say no. Specifically, I wanted you to think about that. Because that's really the definitive answer from the heart to all provocations and sin is an affirmative no. Amen. Amen. That's 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 just that's the way. No. Very plainly. That's that's just absolutely from the heart the answer to sin when it comes to your face or when it when it when it tries to leak out of the heart. No. Amen. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Those it does make their head spin around. All those and all those in authority that would have you sin and the others in this world and all that. No. 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 Very plainly. That's how that's the resolve that should be in your heart. As a child, as a child of God, when sin comes knocking on your door, the answer is no. Amen. A warning that the world will come and that people with worldly philosophies will come to poison you. This shows our duty as parents to prepare you. Like I I reminded you, one woman said to me, well, my son's 14, so I went to work. Nothing more for me to do at home. I was kind of bored. Nothing more to do. (sighs) Wow. That's foolish. I hope that you don't find out the hard way that that's not true. But the man did say he was considering the words that I said, so I thought that was encouraging. I was, I was happy for him. You know, there is always something for a godly mother to do at home and in raising and preparing her sons and daughters for the future and for sinners who will come. We must give them a ready defense. We must, we, we have to. All the trickery of the devil and all the sneaky little things, all of that. You know, when it, that's why biblical preaching, when you're in the, it ought to rip the face off of sin and make it as ugly. Rip the pleasureful face off of sin. That pretty little face that sin likes to come masked in and just rip it off and show them the raw truth of it. That's what needs to happen. God's way. That they see it, that they understand it, that there's no... Because, see, Satan always conceals the judgment of God on sin. And he always appeals to the lust of man's hearts. But not the consequences for that sin. Number two, who are these sinners that are talked about here? Now, number one, I mean, applicably speaking, sinners are those who are lost. Uh, Romans chapter 5 They are the lost, of course. Romans chapter 5. But God, in verse number 8, but God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for sinners. Amen. Every man born of a woman with an earthly father is a sinner. That's. Jesus is the only exception. 
because he didn't have an earthly father. Amen. A man breaking God's righteous law is a sinner. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We talked about Revelation, we've talked about Revelation 21 verse 8 before. If you've broken one command, you've broken all of God's commands. Because the law comes as a package. And there's none righteous. There's none that have kept God's law. They've all gone out of the way. If one is broken, you're guilty of the whole package. But the gift of God, eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But these sinners, the difference being that when you are a child of God, you are a sinner saved by grace. Grace makes the difference. And grace, it ought to be seen that grace has made a difference. That ought to be very plain. There are people that will tell you, well, I'm, I'm no longer a sinner. Well, what you're no longer is someone, hopefully, Lord willing, that practices, plots, plans sin, and is a professional sinner that makes a career out of sinning. Hopefully that, is, that, that ought to be the case for the child of God. If you're saved, then it's not your career to sin. It isn't, what you, it isn't what you do best. It isn't what you're known for. It isn't, it isn't uh, your profession. Your profession is Jesus Christ. Amen? Their profession is sin. Their profession is living in sin. That's the difference. They live in it. They love it. It's, it's what moves them and motivates them. That's the difference in the saved and the lost. A danger, but these sinners are more, tor- more notorious sinners These are a special group of people, of sinners in the world, that purposely want to defile you. There are people out there that purposely want to defile any bit of of purity that is out there. And I warn you, they are out there, and they are more subtle than what you believe and what you understand, especially to youth. Because in youth, your discernment is not sharpened. Your discernment is very weak, so you can't tell you're being taken advantage of until it's too late. That's why you have to listen to godly counsel and wisdom. And you have to do things that honor God. But a danger is implied with these. It is the nature of sin to be aggressive. No person was ever guilty of only one sin. His first sin might aptly have been called Gad, a troop cometh. (laughs) Right? Said one. There was never one sinner yet who did not try to make another like himself, said one. On earth, there is a huge propaganda of evil. Hence, this world is a place of danger to the young and inexperienced. You have to understand, this is a dangerous world for young people, especially if you have have a desire to serve God. It is an absolute date. There There are traps for you everywhere. And the closer you get to lost people, the more in danger you are. The closer closer you align yourself with people that are not going the same direction as you are commanded to go in the scriptures, the more of a fool you are. I just, I I can't say that any plainer. Like, if, if you cannot, evil communication corrupts good manners. If you're around evil people, if you, if you friend evil people, I don't mean you have to work and you have to be in this, I get that. If you friend them. If you are in close companionship with them, they will corrupt you. 
He said, well, I'll, I'll, I'll make them better. Oh, no, you won't. They'll corrupt you. You can witness, yeah, but you know how you're the greatest witness? By staying separated from evil. By staying separated from their e and not going about. No, I stay separate from that. Amen. One man said it this way, endeavor, they endeavor to seduce thee from thy parents and draw thee aside from them, from listening to their instructions, advice and commands, and make use of all plausible arguments to persuade you to join with them in their sins that they are addicted to and are continually employed in. So their design is to take you from the counsel of your parents. From the advice of your parents, from the commandments of your parents. For this is not to be understood of such who are sinners by nature and through infirmity of the flesh, as all men are, but of notorious sinners who are guilty of the grossest enormities who live in sin and give up themselves to work all manner of wickedness. Sin is their trade and business. That is the difference in the saved and the lost right there. Grace makes the difference. When a man is full of grace or a woman is full of grace, they don't, their trade and their business is not sin. And the constant course of their lives are these sinners. They are hardened, impudent, and daring, and not content to sin themselves, but do all they can to draw in others. And to preserve youth from filling into such bad company is this exhortation given in this tender, affectionate, and moving manner. Next to the fear of God and regard to parents is this caution given to shun the company of wicked men, which young men are liable to be drawn into and is of fatal consequence. It can destroy them. David said, gather not my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloody men, in whose hands is mischief, and their right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I will walk in mine integrity, redeem me, and be merciful unto me. My foot standeth in an even place, in the, congregation will I bless, in the congregations will I bless the Lord. Amen? That's, that's the difference. Remember, children, if you are here and have trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, sin is no longer your career. You are called a saint by God. The Bible over and over again tells us that we are saints, that we are the sons of God, that we are the servants of God. Specifically, that is who we are and that is what God has commanded us to do. So his plea is, my son, if sinners, next he says, if they entice thee, that word entice is an interesting word. It means to incite. It means to instigate. By exciting hope or desire, usually in a bad sense, as to entice one to evil. They instigate to evil. They incite. They excite the passions and lusts of somebody to evil. Hence to seduce them. To lead astray. I will say this to a young man or a young woman that is looking for marriage. If you are looking with, uh, 
uh, for marriage and you're looking for that from people who are not going the same way, then you ought to be careful. If someone takes an interest in you that is not going the same direction, firmly, the same direction, then you ought to be suspect of them because why are they interested in you? Amen. If someone is going to uh, court your son or your daughter or your daughter or your son, you know what I mean by that, the relationship at a young age, then they ought to be going the same direction. If not, what do they like about them? Well, what do you like about them? What do, right? You see their purity. We know that. You might see their pretty face. Right? But what else do you like about them? I'd be curious, wouldn't you? I'd be real curious. If there's any time to be critical, it's that time. <laughs> if there's any time to be critical, it's that time. Why? Well, because, I mean, you want them to be married for the rest of their life, right? You want them to marry someone and be married for the rest of their life, right? Amen. So it's time to be critical. Ain't nothing wrong with that. I hope you are. God will guide you. You do it with kindness and love, of course. Don't stomp on anybody's feelings. That's not necessary. Amen? But it is necessary to protect your children. After all, you did raise them, and now you're, gonna, you, you're not just going to hand them over to the first person that's interested without uh, some scrutiny. Right? Amen? Without some prayer, without some... Why? Well, you raised them. You raise them because you love them, right? You don't want to. You don't want to just turn them over to somebody that's going to try to ruin them. Amen. It's like, what are you? What are you interested in? If if somebody's not walking with God, and I mean, I don't mean they have to. They're going to agree a hundred percent or with everything. I mean, I I want to be pretty close, though. <laughs> I want to be pretty close because I really don't want them taking my daughter into a direction that is not good. Right. I don't want my son to marry somebody that the woman is going gonna, is gonna to take him away from the Lord, take him away from what's right. That's what happened to Solomon. So that, that enticement is, is possible. My son, if sinners entice thee, to entice, to seduce, to lead astray, to induce to sin by promises or persuasions... A method exposed to entice. This is what the tempter does. He proceeds indirectly and flatteringly. Among his enticements, number one, an increased knowledge of knowledge. Number two, pleasure. Number three, love of liberty. Number four, nobody will ever know. God always knows. God always knows knows everything. Right. Children, learn this one principle, young, and ask God to give you a heart for it. No matter if any man sees me, thou, God, seest me. Please remember that. Please. 
Remember that if your mom and dad don't see you, if your pastor doesn't see you, if your friends don't see you, just please remember how God sees me. That God always sees you. It will keep you from sin. Because you will remember that God is watching me. It will, pre- it will keep you from the grossest and most immoral of acts and things that, that, that without the watchful eye of parents at times, because we are, we are finite beings that fail, it will keep you from evil if you remember that God sees you. And if someone ever tells you, but so-and-so won't see it, or this person didn't see it, your response should be, thou God seest me. God always sees it. And if I remember that principle, if I hold it dear to my heart, that God will always see everything that I do, and I keep that in my remembrance, that all of my steps uh, are ordered by the Lord, that, that God sees what I do, it will keep me from evil when my, the watchful eyes of my parents are not upon me. When I have opportunities to sin against God, when I have opportunities to sin against my parents, when I have opportunities to do things that are, that are wrong, when temptations come and surround me and they, and, and, and they press upon the soul and, they, and, and the youthful lusts come after me and my passions are worked up and my desires are and there's opportunity to rebel and to do things wrong. Thou God seest me! You remember that. It will help to preserve you from evil. If you keep that in your heart and your mind that God sees you. David couldn't hide his sin from God. Everything that David did, the man after God's own heart, he was the king. But he wasn't the king of kings. There was a king over him. And he saw everything that he did. And God sees everything you and I do. Remember that. Because in, in your youth, passions can take you very quickly. Putting yourselves in the wrong position at the wrong time can take you very quickly. But if you remember that God is there and He is watching you, you do the one thing that you can do. Run! Run! Flee youthful lust which war against the soul. Run! I don't care where you are and what you have to do. Run. Leave it. Run. Amen. I'm as serious as a heart attack and even serious, more serious than that. Sinners want to entice the righteous. They're not content to mind their own business. Boy, they tell you, why don't you just mind your own business, preacher? Why don't you just quit preaching? Why don't you just go home? Go home. Nobody wants you here. Go home. Right? They tell you to mind your own business. Sinners never mind their own business. They're always trying to entice you to sin. Right? They're a bunch of hypocrites, right? They never mind their own business. They never let you be, do they? Right? They never, let, they never leave you alone, do they? No, they're always trying to get you, aren't they? They're always trying to get you to sin. They always want you to compromise. You ever notice that? In this life, they're always wanting you to compromise. They want you to give in. They want you to give in to their way. They want, well, if you just didn't make things so hard, if you weren't so rigid and hard, you know, we could, we could, we could get along as a family. You know, if you just, we could have something to do, you know, with the family. If you just, if you just bend in and give in. Oh, you want everything to be based on a bunch of lies? 
And you want me to accept your lies? And you want me to live your lie just to get along with you? Well, go kick rocks. I'm not going to do it. You go fellowship with yourself if you want to. You keep my family away from you. I don't want to be anywhere near my family. If you're going to live like that, grandma, grandpa, whoever you are, see ya. Wouldn't want to be ya. Amen. Well, that's some hard stuff right there, preacher. It ain't hard enough, really, but <laughs> can't, can't, it can't be hard enough, right? I'll tell you what, you, you might shut the mouths of fools if you just stand up to them sometimes. You might just shut their mouth. They might be thinking about it. Too many people want to pat sinners' butts into hell. That's what they want to do. They want to powder them, put a diaper on them, and pat them straight into hell. You ain't going to get nowhere like that. I'm not saying you go a full bull on everybody when, you're, when you have a conversation with them, but I'm saying when it comes to a point to where they're challenging your God and your stand on the word of God and your living, and you sit there and you want to play patty cake games with them, man, I'm bringing out the stinking bazooka and I am blowing you away. I'm making sure my kids understand I mean this. This is my life. It's not a game. It ain't a popularity contest. Right? Make it plain and clear. Man, that way is too straight. Maybe it is, and some will bounce off of it. But by God's grace, I ain't gonna. Full steam ahead. I got a family to raise. I ain't gonna expose them to a bunch of garbage from you. Amen. Teach him hypocrisy and teach him a bunch of lies. Why? So you can get along? So you can get a family card? An old stale fruitcake for Christmas or something? You're a nasty old fruitcake. It's gross anyway. Merry Christmas, you hypocrites. This is why I stay home. <laughs> Oh, that was fun. All right. <laughs> I do have a lot of fun, though. I, I, <laughs> I do. I don't, people think the Christian lives, it's never boring for me. I have a lot of fun. Right? I have a lot of fun. It's, it's great. They're not content to mind their own business, but, you know, sinners are always aggressively proselytizing. You know that, don't you? I mean, they're always wanting converts. They're always trying to but they want you to be quiet, right? Like the old, like, why don't you just leave people alone? Like all the LGBTQ people say, why don't you just leave people alone? No, I don't want to. Why don't you leave people alone? Same reason why you don't leave people alone, right? Because you want to win people over to your, to your position, right? And we want to preach the gospel so men are won over to Christ. So they can be saved from wicked hellions like you, you perverts. But you can't say that today. I mean, you, you can't. Look, you've look, you got to find a nicer way to say that. There is no nicer way to tell gross, nasty, disgusting little pedophiles that, 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 that want to dance in front of kids and little old grannies that want to support them that you're nasty and you need to get saved. Like, there, there isn't an... Do you, like, is there really a, a really kind way to say that? The old to the old nasty granny club is there? Is it? I, I don't think there's a nice way you. I think that is nice to tell them that. Like I told that old lady, 
some preacher told uh, this other guy, he said, he should have let her talk. Why? I didn't want to hear what she had to say. I wasn't trying to, to be converted to her position. Like, why did I want to listen to her? Yeah, it is a one-way conversation. That's right. Like, why? Why did I? Why did I? Why would I want to hear what she has to say? Like, what, what? I mean, she's walking into a place of some dude in girls' clothes, in bikinis, twerking in the church for little kids. Like, I don't. I all I asked her was, "Are you going in there?" Yeah. Okay. Well, that's all I need to know. Do I need to know anything else? They're, they're proselytizing, so we figured we would, you know. The devil drew many angels after him in his rebellion, right? His chief business is still to entice others. Sinners enticed, by the way, by mocking righteousness and wisdom. They try to make the person feel that, oh, you're not cool to obey God. But the Bible says fools despise wisdom and instruction. They promise them friendship, right? They promise them excitement. They promise them all the things. And their feet run, right, to mischief. They promise them everything the world has to offer, which is just like a painted pageantry to hell is all it is. It's, it's nothing. It's garbage. It's death destruction. That's what it is. That's what they offer them. Amen. Take a drink. Smoke some weed, right? That's... That's how they want to entice young people. Yeah, it's legal now, right? So is abortion. Yeah, go ahead and do that too. Right? That's, that's how they that's what they practice, right? That's what they tell. Hey, it's legal. Yeah, and the United States federal government is where I take my morality from. Okay, dude. Trump! Trump! That's it. Trump! Right? That's where I take my morality from, Trump. That's it, yeah. Or Ron DeSantis, Mr. Jesuit, going down to waterboard soldiers down, or uh, Muslims down at Guantanamo, right? Mr. Eight, Mr. Uh, Crazy Inquisitor. Ronnie 2.0. Yeah, Ronnie 2.0. That's right. That's, that's where I want to take my morality from. Yeah. yeah. Just kill him. I mean, just... He's like choking. They don't want to eat food, so he's choking him. You're eight. <laughs> He's down there just like, like, okay. Like, there are no, th- these people aren't heroes. Right. No. But people follow them and they think they're moral people. Right. Like Trump saying that there's a 50, I, somebody laughed at a comment that I made when I said Trump is not, I mean, Trump's not against abortion. He just said, right on an interview, that he wants to, he said, that number 15 seems like, he does his accordion thing, it seems like number 15, huh? Number 15 is a, 15 weeks seems like a good number. What are you, gambling? What are you, in Vegas? Are you rolling dice? What's your problem? You're talking about, he's making, it's the art of the deal. The art of the squeal. Right? He said 15-week ban on abortion. So, okay, so it's not a baby 1 through 14? By the way, just remember, if you go all the way back to 2016, I said everything that is coming to pass about who that guy is. Right. And it's everything that he said. Everything that he said. It's just, it's, that's exactly who they are. So you want to murder babies. You want me to take, don't take your, mora- children, 
take your take your holiness which is above morality take it from the words of god don't take it from slimy gross disgusting little politicians you know like the senator that just got caught with four hundred eighty thousand dollars in his sock drawer no i'm not kidding and gold bars he had gold bars and he had four hundred eighty thousand well, where's that from that's from your check. That's that's from. That's where's that four hundred eighty thousand from? That's from you. That's where where you think it came from. That's from you. You want to know why you don't have four hundred eighty thousand dollars and you ain't got no gold? Yeah, you got to work harder. <laughs> Make America great again. For who? Who are we making America great again for? For Bob Menendez, the the uh, the senator that had four hundred eighty eighty thousand dollars tucked in his underwear drawer, he's got he's just along going through there. Cops are like, "Man, we found we found hundred thousand dollars in his undies. We found a hundred thousand dollars over here in his socks. Got gold bars sitting over here. What's? Oh, I think we better indict this guy. Yo, you think? I don't know. Maybe just. How do you think all these guys? How do you think they all go into the Senate and they make two hundred thousand? They come out with like like three hundred million. So that guy had four hundred eighty thousand in cash sitting in his house and gold bars. Who gave him that? I don't know. The guy that wanted him to vote a certain way, the corporation that wanted him to vote a certain way. What's the point? Don't take your morality from these people, my son. If sinners entice thee, and they will, consent thou not. How industrious, wicked, observe how industrious and wicked people are to seduce others into the paths of the destroyer. They will entice you because sinners love company and sin. They love it. The angels that fell were tempters also as soon as they were sinners. They do not threaten or argue, but entice with flattery and fair speech. With a bait, they draw the unwary young man to the hook. By enticements, sin is made to be attractive. It is most important for all of us to know that there are pleasures in sin in order that we not be surprised at the discovery of them. See, that's the thing you have to understand. Don't teach your children that that there is no pleasure in sin because there is pleasure in sin for a season. And I don't mean you don't glamorize that. It's not glamorizing it. You're telling them the truth. Sure, people do things that feel good. They think it feels good to get drunk until you have a hangover. Until you get addicted to alcohol and, you can't, and you're a drunk and you can't stop and it destroys your life or you kill somebody. Right? There's always pleasure. Right? There's always pleasure in sin for a season to gratify the lusts thereof, right? So teach them the truth about that. The fruit is palatable, though, like apples of Sodom. It soon turns to ashes. I mean, they thought they had a good time in Sodom, right? Till judgment came. If it were not so, who would run the risk of tasting it? If stolen waters were not sweet, who would choose to wear the brand of a thief on his conscience? Here it is the great power of temptation. By slow degrees and soft inducements, the evil is wrought. The subtle serpent succeeds where the roaring lion fails. Delilah conquers the man whom no Philistine warrior could overthrow. Many mighty men have been slain by her. Many strong men. 
there's a peculiar peril of youth. Youth are endangered by three things. Number one, the invitations of the unholy. Sinners entice. Companionship is dear to the young. You listen, young people, please. Companionship is dear to young people and is very powerful over it. Its heart is open, trustful, and responsive. It rejoices with keen delight in the confidences of friendship. You like to be able to have a friend you can confide in, right? Everyone likes that. And when one who advances has been received and who has been welcomed as a congenial companion says, Come, it is hard for friendship to refuse. This more especially when the solicitation comes from him who has a strong will or an amiable and fascinating disposition. Somebody becomes your friend and it's hard to tell them no. The heart of youth is very powerfully drawn, sometimes to good, but too often to evil, by the charm of early friendship. That's why it's so important that you and I love one another, that we walk in purity and that we're kind one to another. It's so important that, you, that no one in this room shuns anyone, that you're kind to everyone. I'm not saying you're always going to you know, agree on everything, but you know what? We agree on one thing. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. That's our love, not our love for the lost, but our love for each other, the saved, the children of God. Don't shun other believers in Christ in this church, other brothers and sisters. Be kind to each other. Be patient with each other. Be long-suffering with each other. Don't dismiss somebody because you're annoyed by them or you're annoyed by the way they talk or maybe, maybe, you don't, maybe they talk too much. or maybe they, Don't do that. They might go, they, they might, in, in despair, people, they might go seek friendship somewhere else. That's not good. Amen. I'm being dead serious when I tell you that. You and I are to, we're to be friends one day. If you've got a younger person like that, you take them under your wing and you be kind to them. You don't be abusive to them. Encourage them. Be a friend to them. Why? You don't want them going to seeking friendship from somebody else, do you? Do you want them or do you want them, do you want them to be friends with those that are around them that you know care about them? Amen. People ought to be friendly one to another. They ought to love each other. In this church especially. Why? We have the truth. We have a greater responsibility. We don't shun one another. We don't treat each other poorly. But we love each other. We're kind to each other. We're patient with each other. Especially these young people. They ought not ever feel like they're a nuisance. Amen. They ought not ever feel that way. They ought not feel like that. You ought not think that we ought not think that we're better than them but that we encourage them and we teach them and we're kind to them and long-suffering with them. Amen? That's important. It is because we don't want them seeking friendship at other places. We, we don't want that. Amen? We don't want them seeking the wrong friends because children desire companionship. They desire to have friends. You know, you see people grow up and, and they, they don't grow up in a church where they have other young people around them and they get really discouraged at times because the church is there full of like all old people and no, there's no youth in their churches. So if a family comes along to a church and there's no young people there, they're just like, man, there's nobody here. 
Well, you and I have to be those friends. Amen? We've got to remember that. We've got to be that way. It's important. Amen. Young people should be taught to be kind to each other. And if you see your children not being kind, you correct them. Amen. You correct them. You teach them. No, we don't do that. We don't play clicks and we don't play games like that. We don't, we don't ostracize people and we don't treat them poorly. We don't do that. Amen. Somebody might be different, have a different personality. Some might, different, you know, they just might be a little different. Don't you shun them or treat them poorly because of that. You encourage them and you be their friend. Amen. That's biblical love. And that's what God expects from everyone in this room. Amen. All of us. Because we have a responsibility to teach them. If God's brought you where he's brought you, he's brought you there for a reason. And it's to love others. He didn't give you all the experience and the time and everything else for you not to share it on others. Amen. But if you shun them and treat them like you're better than them because they may annoy you at times or they may talk too much or like my British friends say, they may niggle you. It's my niggle. It's my new favorite word it was for a while, I think. Right? People may niggle you. Scott, have you ever heard that word? Not till I taught you? Okay, good. All right. Remember that. Look it up. The, hey, an Irish guy, Joe McDonald, said it to me the first time. And I, I laughed for like a half an hour straight when he told me, I think. I was like, really? That's a real word? He was like, he's like, I hope something's not niggling you. I hope not either. That sounds horrible. Yeah. What is that? Yeah, it's great. Anyway, so that's a new word you can take back, Marcy, to Arizona. You could share it with your church. <laughs> that look right there says, I don't know if they'd like that word. Well, you just tell them it's from me. Just send a recording back and play that. Ass- no, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. God warns us not. Uh, God warns us about not being sober-minded, right? Uh, he warns us about about drunkenness. He warns us about those other things, which we'll talk about uh, also in this series here. But um, you know, people get a, they get addicted to alcohol. They get they become drunkards, and liquor won't help them forget about their problems. But they'll sinners will try to entice you to that. They will. They'll try to entice you. God warns us to be sober-minded, though. Alcohol will definitely pervert your judgment. You'll make bad decisions. You'll lie or cheat on your spouse. You'll fall for the strange woman in Proverbs chapter 5. Sinners will attempt to lead you astray. Right? They might say, you don't have to go to church every Sunday, do you? That way is too straight. Your church is too strict. Your parents are too strict. You could miss some Sundays to make money. Listen, when you've got to raise a family and things come up, I understand. Your ox might be in a ditch. There might be something you have to do. But none of you young people have any oxes. Amen. There's no reason for young people to take jobs and keep them away from the house of God. By the way, I would say there's no, there's no reason for an older person to do that either. Be selective. Put God first. Amen? There are times when emergencies come up. I, I understand. 
There are times, but it sh you shouldn't plan that. Those are things that are not planned, right, and that we have to do. But we shouldn't plan that. We shouldn't plan to be away from God's people like that. Things come up. Things happen. But Sunday is still the Lord's Day, right? We still need to be with the saints of God. Peop uh, but people in this world will do all they can to keep you from that. They'll try to discourage that. As a young man makes decisions now, as parents teach your children what is important. Is it money? Is that more important? You know, we, we talk about a good Christian work ethic. That does not involve working yourself to death and never seeing your children or spouse. That's right, right. And not being faithful to the house of God. Amen. You know, you work all kinds of hours and never see your family to make money. That's not good either. That's actually wrong. Fathers should know their children. Children should know their fathers. Yeah, they know them as a hard worker, but you know what? They also know them as being there. It's important. Work yourself to death. You got nothing left for anybody else. And that's what this world will do. They'll use you. They will beat you. Right? They'll beat you up and, 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 and burn you out. Right, until there's nothing left for your family. So you've got to balance that, okay? Sinners will always attempt to talk you out of your purity, by the way. Always. Lastly, consent thou not. I think we'll get through this. I better hurry. What does it mean to consent? My sinners if... Or my sinners. <laughs> my sinners. <laughs> my son. <laughs> my little sinners. <laughs> uh, that's for the... I can change that out to the world, right? <laughs> but uh, we're preaching on the street. We can preach that, right? Little sinners. But uh, my son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. What does it mean to consent, to be of one mind, to agree, when we yield that which we have a right to withhold? The Bible warns us not to agree with sinners. Consent thou, uh, thou not. Let no man deem himself the helpless victim of temptation. God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able. As a child of God, your temptation is not greater than you can take. God always gives the way out. You have a will. As a child of God, you can say yes or no. We are not responsible for meeting with temptation at times, since even Christ felt the cruel force of this trial. But we are responsible for the way we behave under it. One man said, "'Tis one thing to be tempted, another thing to fall." Now the resistance of temptation must be immediate and thorough. The tempter entices by gentle degrees, but the tempted must resist at once and with decision. He must not begin with the retort courteous, but with the lie direct. See, these people will come to you subtly. Don't be subtle with your response. You say no. When someone, when someone wants you to compromise in that area or to, to, to be given over to temptation of, of whatever it is, whether it's sexual lust or whether it's alcohol or drugs or whatever it, is, whatever it may be, fornication, whatever it may be, no, it's firm. They may have been subtle all the way. Let them know where you stand. Most of the time, they'll want to depart from your company when you're very plain. 
Amen? It's like when they tell dirty jokes like that and you don't laugh and you just look at them. It's like, no. Nothing's funny about that. There is something about the advice, consent thou not, very different in tone from the polite, enticing manner of the tempter. Yet this is necessary, for all that is wanted by the tempter is compliance. No active exercise of will, but a passive yielding. They, they want to tempt you, and they want to seduce you into doing that. They don't want you to actively persist on what's right. They want you to be passive and just agree to sin. But you can't. That's when you have to exercise your will. Not give a passive yielding, but be very firm. No. The resistance, however, must be active. The greatest danger is in dallying with temptation. Don't play with temptation. You don't play with it. You resist it steadfast in the faith. That means you war against it. The Bible says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. It doesn't say you parlay with the devil. It doesn't say that you have a conversation with like all these charismatics. I'm all, yeah, I was talking to the devil the other day. Okay, why? I'm like, okay, why? Why? I was having a conversation with the devil. I don't think you should do that. The Bible says resist the devil. That's a fight. And it's not a physical fight. It's a spiritual one. And you resist him with the word of God. Well, how do you resist him? Peter tells you how you resist him. In the word. Faithful. Steadfast in the word. You resist him steadfastly in the word. Like you, There's just no, you just turn around and no. That's what Jesus did. He told him, depart. Get thee hence, Satan. Right? You and I are not to, you and I are to be very firm when temptation comes. Not give no question or doubt in your mind. Leave no question or doubt in others' minds. But be firm. Resolute. Psalm 1 talks about the steps of a good man, right? He talks about uh, the way in which we should go. Turn to Psalm 1. Blessed is the man. Pronounces the blessing on the man. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Amen. He should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Why? Because he didn't stand in the way of sinners. He didn't sit in the seat of the scornful. He didn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. So God blesses him. God bless you. God warns us about these people. James warns us in James 4, 4, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is the enemy with God, is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. You are to yield not to their persuasions. Listen not to their solicitations. You don't need to hear that. You don't need to listen to their solicitations. They're selling you on sin. 
Don't listen to that. Listen not to their solicitations. Show no liking and approbation of them. Assent neither by words nor deeds. Do not say, thou wilt. Say, I will not. And abide by it. Be deaf to all their entreaties and proof against all their persuasions. That's how you consent thou not. You do not consent to that. How cautious young people should be that they be not seduced by them. Though they entice thee, they cannot force thee. Do not say as they say, nor do as they do, or would have thee to do. Have no fellowship with them. The first great danger which besets the simple and the young is that of evil companionship. You get around the wrong people and you befriend the wrong people, you're going to get into sin. I don't care how you're raised, you will get into sin. That's why parents need to know where their children are, what they're doing. I see all these children running around all over the... We do. We see... Remember all those children in Northfield? We saw all these children running around. Nobody knows where they're at. All night, yeah, they don't care where they're at. Right. That's right. That's what they do. The only safety is to be found in the power of saying no to all such invitations. Turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Verse number 18. Look at verse 17. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he, for in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Christ is able to succor you. He's able to keep you through your temptations because he was tempted so greatly and was not taken by it. That's how you can avoid. That's how you can resist temptation. You can appeal to the Lord. Amen? You appeal for aid to Christ. Three reasons not to consent and we'll be done here. When we begin to sin, it is hard to stop. That's reason number one. When we begin to sin, it is hard to stop. If you start to sin, the most difficult thing you'll do is stop. When people see a weakness, they capitalize on it. You drink one and it's easy to drink two. You smoke one joint, it's easier to smoke another. Society today is acceptable more so than 20 years ago when I preached this sermon 16, 17 years ago. Today, nudity is normal. Porn is accessible on phones. Drinking is condoned by professing Christians. Drugs are legal everywhere. You lie once and it's easy to lie again and you create patterns. Once you start, you cannot stop. Once you start being a liar and going down that road, it is very difficult to stop. Even as a child of God, when you form bad patterns in your life, bad habits. Number two, the second reason to consent thou not. Because it is dangerous. 
dangerous, like a long train racing down a track and a log being put in the way. God has a track for you to go down, and when you consent to sin, you throw a log on the track and the train is derailed. Wrong place at the wrong time, and you can destroy a marriage, you can destroy your purity. One drug taken can freeze up your brain forever. Consenting to one lie can lead you to jail or adultery. Consenting, consent thou not because sin is dangerous. Very dangerous. Consent thou not because sin is disgraceful. Sin is disgraceful in the look that it gives us. The way the, tra- the, way the transgressor is hard. I remember a story, and I, I, I used it back then. I've used it a couple times, but I remember a story of a painter that was painting this little boy, just a young boy, and he had such an innocent and angel-like face. He was painting uh, this little boy, and he painted it, and he had that picture. Years later went by, like 20 years later, and a man that, that came up to him on the street, he was a street painter, I think, and he, the man came up to him on the street and said, can I paint your portrait? And this man, he looked really rough. And he said, Sure. He painted his picture. And the young man that wasn't very old told him, that's me. And he saw what sin did to that man. How sin can destroy you. I've met people before like that. I went to school with a young man who's my brother's age. And I hadn't seen him for years. And he got into meth. He got into gangs. He was a uh, gangster disciple, a 2-6. Uh, you know what those are, Jacob? 2-6. 2-6 nation, they call themselves. They're GDs, basically. But he, he got into the gangster disciples, and he came back. And I, I, I barely recognized him. His teeth were all rotted out. He was just, like, wasted. And then I found out a few years later he OD'd from meth. His father was a very wealthy man, gave him everything he wanted except what a father was supposed to be. His mother had died of cancer, and he had to move in with his father, and he went to Joliet, which was really not too far from Chicago, and the gangster disciples were pretty big over there, and the vice lords and Latin kings and a lot of gangs. He got into gangbanging. The way of the transgressor is hard. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. And sin will cost you more than you want to pay. Always. Consent thou not because it is disgraceful in the company that it puts us in. The Bible says whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Sin brings us into the company of the devil and his fallen angels. When we continue in sin, we put on the chains that are meant for the devil and his fallen angels. Instead of showing the robes of righteousness of Christ... I don't mean that you lose salvation. I'm not talking about that. But what you do is taint the sanctification. and You dirty and defile your garments. David was ashamed of the sin that he had committed. I think God gave him a venereal disease. He had fire in his bowels. You won't sin against God and get away with it like that. And live like that. Consent thou not because sin distorts the view of Christ. When you as a believer sin and live in sin, 
and walk in sin and do things that are, whether it's drunkenness or fornication or pornography or, or, or drugs or uh, loose living or whatever the case may be, if you and I live like that, we distort the view and the picture of Christ. Paul said that we were an epistle written on his heart, right? We're living epistles, right? Written on his heart. So we are, we are those living epistles, right? You are the only Bible that some men will read. Now, we want them to read the scriptures, right? We, we do. We know that's where the power of God is. But they're going to see your life, and they're going to they're look at it. And they're going to watch your life. And it matters how you live. It matters that you and I, like we talked about on Wednesday night, that we're to be trophies of his grace. We are to be those trophies. People are supposed to look at us, not to bring us glory, but it brings God glory. Because we're his trophies. We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to him. And we're to show the glory of God in our lives. People are to see that. Lost people are to see that. They're to see it and they're to grow. People see Christ through his people. The world sees Christ through his people. When God's people are not yielding to sin, it makes a difference. We are to be that peculiar people. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're almost done here. We just got a couple scriptures and we're done. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 9. But you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're to show forth the praises of him who hath called us out of darkness. Right? We're to awake out of sleep. Amen. It matters how you live. And, and, and if you consent to sin and you give in to it, you defile your garments, you dishonor the Lord, it brings you into shameful company. You and I, our focus is to be what honors God. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Amen. That's what God wants for His children. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your words. Thank you for grace. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for his power to move hearts. And Lord, help us to live a life that honors you. Help, us, help our children to know that sinners will come and try to convert them. They'll try to tempt them. They'll try to take them and seduce them from truth. Help us to prepare them with the word of God. Lord, save the lost among us. Strengthen the saved. Help us to prepare these children for their future. And please protect them and keep every single one of them. Help us as men and women of God to walk with you and to be holy, separated and sanctified, walking in the fear of the Lord. Help us to be a good example to them. Lord, please... Help us to put down sin and temptation in our lives by the power of God, by the grace of God. Strengthen us, protect us, keep us, Lord. Let us not fall. 
but hold us up, Lord, and we shall be held. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.